Chapter Sixteen of the Lady of the North Star by Otwell Binns. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Corporal Hears News. During the weeks of his convalescence in Chief Louis's smoking teepee, Roger Bracknell spent much of his time in reflecting on the news which the chief had given him. Reviewing the story calmly and dispassionately, he could find nothing to weaken the conclusion which the half-breed himself had reached. The dynamite and the winter thunder, with the description of the broken trail and the strange conduct of the unknown man in deliberately overrunning Rolf Gargrave's camp, were almost conclusive evidence. Someone had planned that Rolf Gargrave should die, and his death had been as surely as murder as if the man who had planned it had taken a rifle with which to do the deed. Who was the man? And often as he asked himself this question, the corporal found his thoughts reverting to his cousin. Had Dick Bracknell, having married Rolf Galgrave's daughter, deliberately planned the murder of the millionaire? His heart revolted at the thought, but he could not escape from it. Dick had been hard-pressed. He was already a fugitive from justice when he had arrived in the North, and, so far as the corporal knew, that arrival had been a secret one. He would be quite unknown, even to Rolf Gargrave. No one would suspect him, and the plan he had chosen was itself so novel that, but for the Indians noticing his absence from the camp and carrying the sticks of dynamite back to Chief Louis, it must have escaped detection. The more the corporal thought of it, the more black seemed the case against his cousin. Rolf Gargrave was a clever man and powerful, and he had had his own plans for his daughter. Dick Bracknell must have known that when he heard how Joy had been trapped into marriage, and he would be very wrathful, and calculating on the father's intervention, he must have decided to get rid of him, in the hope of sooner or later trading upon Joy's inexperience of the world. One day, while he was reflecting on the problem, unable to touch certainty anywhere, a thought occurred to him, and when Chief Louis entered the teepee, he promptly asked the question. Louis, when was it that the stranger called at your camp for guides to help him find Rolf Gargrave? I mean, what time of the year was it? The chief considered for a moment, then he answered gravely, It was two moons before the ice break up. You are sure? asked the corporal. Certain. That would be March or a little later, said the corporal, thoughtfully, and Dick fled from England about Christmas. If he came straight through, he might do it comfortably. Dick, who is that? asked the chief quickly. He is the one man I know who may have been interested in Rolf Gargrave's death. You may have heard of him. He is known in the North as Kuna Dick. I have not seen him unless he was a stranger man who come to my camp that day, but of him I have heard. He is bad mans. He wants shooting. He sell whiskey, much whiskey, to the porcupine sticks, and they fight till seven be dead in the snow. Also he take their catch of fur for the whiskey, and when the winter it comes they freeze and the babies die. Yes, of him I have heard, and he is very bad mans. So is the mans that come to my lodges that day and that blow up the trail for Rolf Gargrave, so that he die. 
I have not said so yet, answered the corporal thoughtfully, but I am afraid there can be little question of it. Some day when I meet him, I shall put the question to him plainly and learn the truth. You know this man, Kuna Dick? Yes, he's my cousin. As he received the information, the half-breed flashed a quick glance of sympathy. Le Diabla, he said, that is strange, but so it does befall. One pup of the litter is a good dog, and he grows to the collar work naturally. But another he is bad. He snarl like the wolf. He is a thief, and he will not do the work. So it is with the sled dogs and with men. It is passing strange, but I have often beheld it, and it is so. The corporal nodded his assent. He had often wondered at the crooked strain which had sent his cousin on wild courses to dishonor, but could find no consolation in the thought that, given certain circumstances, the way of dishonor was almost inevitable. He rose from the couch of skins, and, moving stiffly towards the fire, thrust in a spruce twig, and with it lit his pipe. Then he turned to the chief. "'I wonder how soon I shall be able to take the trail, Louis.' The half-breed shook his head. "'Not yet. The leg that have been broken, it is not good for the snowshoe work. No, it ain't like Le Diable. You must wait, wait till the ice breaks up. Then you go down the river in a canoe. That will be the easy way, yes?' A mutinous look came on Roger Bracknell's face. Having so long lived an active life, he was growing tired of the monotony of the encampment, and as he felt the strength returning to his leg, was more and more inclined to make the attempt to reach civilization as represented by the police post. There was news to send to Joy Gargrave, news that might profoundly affect her life, and it was desirable that she should receive it at the earliest possible moment. I do not think that I shall wait until then, Louis. They will give me up for lost at the post, and besides, I have news for a certain person. Is the news good? interrupted the chief. For a moment, the corporal did not reply. Was the news he had to send to Joy Gargrave good? In one way, yes. It would suffice to remove any lingering doubts as to the effect of the shot that she had fired when she had gone to meet Dick Bracknell in the wood. He would be able to assure her, on the evidence of Dick himself, that she was not responsible for the mischief that had been done. That assurance, as he knew, would mean the lifting of a weight of apprehension from Joy's heart. In another way, however, the news was bad. Dick Bracknell was still alive, and that meant that she was still bound to him, and that on the first favorable opportunity he might assert himself. His mind was still balancing the good and evil of the case, when Louis, who had been watching his face, spoke again. There is no need to speak. The news it is not good. Therefore, there is not any cause for haste. Ill news does not grow worse for keeping. And the trail it is bad these days, for there is much snow. Nevertheless, I shall make the endeavor, Louis. I will borrow a man and a dog team and meat from you, and in one week, I will take the trail. If I find it too much for me, I can return. The chief nodded. As you please, the dogs are yours, also the meat and the man's, though the hunters are from the camp just now. But if you must go, you must, and it is Le Diable in the race 
that drives you forth, Corporal.' "'The devil in the race,' laughed Bracknell. "'I do not understand, Louis. What do you mean?' "'I mean the unrest that dwells in the men of your tribe. It drives them forth, for good or ill, to the conquest of the lands. It makes them seek the stick which runs through the earth.' "'The pole, you mean, Louis?' "'The pole, yes.' and when we got what good it makes them that they cannot sit by the fires in warm teepees but must go hunt the bald-faced bear or dig the frozen earth for gold that somewhere white squaw may fling it from the window yes laughed the corporal you put the truth rather brutally we are rather given that way but it isn't the devil louis it is the genius and instinct of our race for conquest that drives us, that and the dream of the home woman, I suppose. Chief Louis nodded. We, oui, maybe, and you have the dream, Corporal? Corporal Bracknell stopped his perambulation of the hut and stared at his companion. Now how the dickens do you know that, Louis? I have seen it in your eyes. You speak of Rolf Gargrave, and twice... Only you have speak of Gargrave's daughter. But there were dreams in the eyes, then, and a soft note in the voice. And I know that she is what you call the home woman. We. Oui. I know that is so. The corporal's face flushed, and he did not deny it. For one moment as he stood there, he had a vision of Joy Gargrave, young and beautiful, and a fit mate for any man. And in that moment there were dreams in his eyes. Three seconds later, realities asserted themselves, and the soft light died from his eyes. He gave a little bitter laugh, and without speaking, resumed his perambulations. Chief Louis watched him for a moment. Then he said tentatively, "'There be difficulties ahead, Corporal.' "'Yes,' nodded Bracknell. "'Grave difficulties. What would you do, Louis, if you wanted a maid to wife?' I should offer a large price, blankets, guns, tobacco. Roger Bracknell laughed at the notion of offering a large price for Joy Gargrave, and then mooted the real difficulty. But if it was not a matter of price, Louis, rather of another man, what then? Then I would fight him. Always maidens are caught with strength. They love a man. That is the law of life and of mating. The strong wolf in the pack, he have the pick and the strong moose he have heard, and the strong man he take the maid. I've looked on the world, and so it is. Yes, love, like all things else, is the spoil of the strong. Bracknell did not reply for a moment. In that hour, the law of the primal wilds appealed to him strongly, but he knew that it was not the way for him. Yes, he said, it is the law of the wilds, but not of my race. I carry a law that is the law of man, and he who kills, whether for love or hate, dies therefore. The thing is impossible. Chief Louis grunted disapprobation. The law of the wild is better. For that reason, I dwell in the lodges of my mother's people, where the strong rule. He knocked the ashes from his pipe, and without adding more, passed out of the teepee. Roger Bracknell still continued his perambulations, exercising his injured leg, and as he walked his mind was busy with what he felt was to become the problem of his life. He loved Joy Gargrave, 
he confessed it frankly to himself. He had loved her since that day when in the woods at North Star she had offered him her hand as a token that she counted him among her friends. But what good was it? The whole thing was so hopeless so long as Dick Bracknell lived, and if he died, would the outlook be any the less hopeless? He could not tell, but he was afraid not, for friendship was not love, and Joy Gargrave, as he was sure, was not a woman to give her affection easily. As he thought, despair gripped him, and the teepee's skin wall seemed too narrow a prison house. He threw on his fur coat and mittens and went outside. Driven by his thoughts, he left the encampment and, walking stiffly, moved down the river trail. He had walked perhaps a mile and a half when, out of the woods, broke a couple of laden sledges and two men of the tribe. They were from the hunters, and as they passed, they saluted him gravely, according to the manner of their race. How! How! He responded in kind and continued to walk on. He had proceeded but a little way, however, when a thought occurred to him. These men had been away on the main river. They might have news of the outer world. Instantly, as the thought came to him, he turned in his tracks and began to return to the encampment. When he reached there, the two hunters were not to be seen. But when he entered his own teepee, he found Chief Louis sitting by the fire, smoking. There was an impassive look on his face, but in his eyes was a light that could not be hidden, and the white man knew that the chief was excited. The corporal did not remark upon the fact, however, but deliberately filled his pipe, and seating himself, smoked on as if he had noticed nothing. After a little time, Louise spoke. The hunters, they have sent meat, much meat. Yes, answered Bracknell. I met two of the men of the tribe just now. There is meat for a potlatch, feast, but that is not the way of my people. We are not as the wolves which eat all, even the bones, and then run hungry until a new kill is made. There is much wisdom in such prudence, answered Bracknell, wondering when the half-breed would unfold his news. It is the way of the white man's, and it is the way of the wise. Therefore, do we eat, and leave meat that we may eat again? The corporal nodded, but said nothing, and after a pause, Chief Louis spoke again. Of the two men you met, one was Sibu. Ah, Sibu, who with Paslik went as a guide with a stranger who wished to overtake Rolf Gargrave? We, Sibu, who went with a stranger man's, who blow the bottom out of the trail that Rolf Gargrave die. Roger Bracknell waited. He felt that he was on the verge of some revelation, but he concealed his impatience and maintained an unperturbed demeanor, knowing that such would commend him to his host. The half-breed puffed stolidly at his pipe for a full minute, then he spoke again. Sibu brings not meat alone, he brings news. News? We, oui, of the strange man who dynamites the trail. Is that so? That is news which Sibu bring to me. He say that six days ago, ze drange man comes to the hunting camp to buy meat. He have with him fine dogs and two bad Indians. He offers for meat one good rifle and many cartridges, and Sibu sell him meat. Also, 
he know him for the stranger man, but the stranger he does not know Cebu, whose face last winter was mauled by a bald-faced grizzly to whom he did not give the trail. The stranger man, he camped with the hunters for the night, and the two Indians they smoke with Cebu and ask questions, many questions. Yes, said Bracknell, as the chief paused, what about? He asked about a white man of the name of Kuna Dick. Great Scott! And they ask if anything be known of another white man's, a policeman who is lost. And Cebu, whose tongue is a silent one, asks the name of the policeman's. Did he get it? asked the corporal quickly. We, oui, the name was Corporal Bracknell, which is you. By Jove, yes, but who? The half-breed checked him by raising his hand, and continued. Cebu have in mind that the trail was blown up for Rolf Gargrave, and he is cautious. He told of your sled, which was found, and of the dead wolves, but he say nothing that we find you, and that you are with me, and presently the two bad Indians go back to the stranger man's, who is in a tepee which Cebu has set for him. Cebu he follow, and he lie in the snow outside of the tepee and with his knife he cut a hole in the tepee that he may see and hear. The strange man, he is by the fire, and Cebu sees the face of him, while his men talk. When they tell of the sled and the dead wolves, the white man's, he smile, as a man well pleased, and that is everything except that next morning he go north with the meat he have bartered for. Such is the tale of Cebu. Well, thank you, Corporal. Think? It is no time for thinking, it is time for action. There's some infernal work afoot, and I start on that man's trail tomorrow. Whatever his game may be now, and it is a mystery that passes my comprehension, he's the murderer of Rolf Gargrave, and I'll get him if I follow him to the pole. But the story puzzles me. Those Indians asked about Kuna Dick. Why should they do that? The chief shook his head. That I cannot tell. It's odd, very odd. Kuna Dick is the one man who may reasonably be suspected of a motive for getting rid of Rolf Gargrave. That I know, but... He broke off as a thought occurred to him, and then remarked thoughtfully, The question may have been a mere bluff of Dick's. He may, after all, have recognized Cebu, and set his men to ask the question in order to discover whether your man had any knowledge of his name. Yes, that may be it. But I will find him, and I will learn the truth. Louis, can I have a team in stores for the morning, and Cebu also? He knows the man, and I do not. Of course the service will be paid for from Regina. The chief nodded his head. The dogs are yours with the stores. Also, Cebu goes with you. But you will find the trail hard, for that leg... He is not yet strong. It will grow stronger every day, and with Cebu to pack the trail, I shall do well. I start at dawn in the morning. Then, said Louis, rising, I will go, and the team select for you. The dogs shall be of the best. He went out, leaving Roger Brack now in a whirl of conflicting thoughts. End of chapter 16